Good morning, church. It's a beautiful day. And if it's cloudy out, but it is still beautiful nonetheless. And I will say, I think I can easily speak for everyone. And I say, Dad, I was encouraged. I was encouraged. I know many people are going through things right now. Family, money, marriages, all of which call us into question God's faithfulness. And uh, that was encouraging to remind us that we should never, never question God's faithfulness. It's amazing, the, the music, thank you, uh, music team, by the way, I meant to say that. I'm really grateful for all the work the music team puts in every single week. And I, I come up here a couple times a month. They're here every week uh, serving us, and uh, it's a joy to have them up here serving us that way every week. I appreciate that. And also, one of the songs that was sang, it said that, paraphrasing, I believe, a little bit, but that Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Paraphrase. But you all know how incredible that is? It just hit me. Anyone here fulfilled the law yet? He did it for you. And then paid for the transfer of the, his righteous perfection of the law to you by faith. He did what none of us could do. So there's a lot of, a lot of reasons to worship and praise this morning. And we're in uh, Luke chapter 12 today. And before we get there, I wanted to just kind of start with a little fun fact. A little fun fact that according to the National Society of Anxiety, that's actually a place, it's a real society, of the National Public Society, the number one phobia, the number one phobia or fear is, you might have guessed it, public speaking. Public speaking drives more anxiety in people than anything else they could think of. In fact, number two was death. Number two was death. So when they ranked it in order, they said, mm, public speaking and then Dying, losing my life, which reminds me of actually a comedian that said, if we were at a funeral today, that mean, that would mean that most of the people at the funeral would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. It's crazy to me. It's kind of astounding, right? That what, would it, what, would it, what is it that would cause the vast majority of people to fear talking to just a few people and the number didn't matter. It could have ranged anywhere from like 10 people up to 1,000 people the anxiety level was the same. And so what is it that would cause people to fear that more than the end of life itself? Possibly it could be as just being seen as foolish before people. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to mess up. They don't want people to like them. They don't want people to think they're stupid or silly. And trust me, I, I get the fear of public speaking. I mean, no matter how often you do it, you almost kind of never get used to it, right? For some, it results in nausea, shaky legs, shaky voices, shortness of breath, heart pounding. The caffeine you drink beforehand doesn't help, right? And I think if we, if we just thought about it for just a minute, in the grand scheme of all eternity, in the grand scheme of all the things that God has done from beginning to end and all who God is and all who we are, I think we'd think it's pretty silly to fear man. I think we would think we would understand how silly it is to care really what you think of me right now, rather than what God thinks as I preach his word. That is weighty. That is a very weighty thing. And so if you're not there already, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. After many, many months in the chapter of 11, we have finally made it out of 11 and into chapter 12 of this great gospel account. And we have uh, come to this portion, but uh, many uh, have considered this portion really starting back in Luke 9 as kind of the discipleship portion of the, of the book, meaning Jesus is kind of transferring his ministry out of presentation mode and into teach mode starting really back in chapter 9, all the way through the rest of the book. And we get to kind of join Jesus on this road of discipleship as he teaches his disciples, as he teaches his followers. And right now, the, the crowds are kind of divided. You have those who want to kill Jesus and call him a demon. And you have those who say, well, I'm, 
I'm with you and I, I don't really want to kill you yet. That's pretty much the two groups. And on this side of the people who don't want to kill him yet, he's, he's spending a lot of time focusing on them, teaching them. In fact, in Luke 12, pretty much all the way to verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 9, we see what seems to be a long discourse, a very long discourse from Jesus to his disciples. To his disciples. That's who he addresses in verse 1. So he addresses again in verse 4, his disciples, his friends. And there's a few interruptions along the way, but most of, the, most of this chapter, all into chapter 13, is a, is a discourse, a sermon, if you will, a message, a lesson from Jesus to his disciples. And yes, there were crowds there. Myriads of people. Thousands and thousands of people. And all of them were hearing what Jesus was saying, but he's directing it to his students. And he's teaching them about faith. He's teaching them about faith, who to trust, God or man? Who will you trust, God or man? Who will you fear, God or man? And that is really the underlying context of all that Jesus is teaching his disciples over the next 68 verses. Namely this, the fear of God cast out the fear of man. The fear of God cast out the fear of man. Meaning that when you see God as he is, not as you've conjured up him to be, not some God you've made up in your mind, there is one God in all the universe, and he is who he is. He is who he is. No matter what you think him to be, he is who he is and who he has expressed himself to be. And when you see him as he is, it changes the way you view the world. It changes the way you view other people. It changes what you fear and who you fear. It changes the way you see man. You're no, you're no longer afraid of man. If you saw God as you were are you supposed to see him, it would cast out fear. You would no longer think how silly it is, or you'd no longer think how fearful it is to be scared of what people think rather than meet God face to face after death. That would be the scariest thing to you. Death would be frightening if you truly understood who God was, not public speaking. So let's go to God's word this morning. Let's go to God's word where he reveals himself to see him, to marvel at him, and pray that God would instill in us even more fear, rightful fear, which we'll discuss, of the living God. So let's pray for that this morning. Father, we love you. We desire to love you more. It is our heart's desire, God, that we would see you as you are. As, as Moses said on the mountain, show us your glory. We long to see your glory, God. We don't want to be the same. Yes, Lord, we come to you as we are, but we know that you promised not to leave us as we are. To change us, to conform us into the image of your Son, who stood in the face of man and was not afraid, not once. The only time we see Jesus fear is as he's about to endure your wrath for us. Let us be like him. We ask, Lord, that you would do that in us. Open eyes, soften hearts, encourage, strengthen, build up your church, God, through the hearing, the receiving, and the planting of your word. Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll be picking up in chapter 12, verse 4. Chapter 12, verse 4, it says this, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Our main point this morning is this. Fear the triune God. Fear the triune God and live in love and hope. Fear the triune God and live in love and hope. Verse 4 is coming off of a warning and a promise. 
First few verses in chapter 12 are a warning and a promise. Jesus has just warned his disciples to beware of the Pharisees, to beware of this leaven of the Pharisees. This leaven, he calls it hypocrisy. Beware of this leaven of fakeness, mask-wearing. He promises that all of it will be exposed one day. All of this fakeness, all of this hypocrisy, all of this false religion, all of this uh, pretending will all be exposed in the end. God will expose it for what it is, and they will be judged. So therefore, verse 4. Verse 4, he says, these hypocrites, these hypocrites, these Pharisees, these, uh, these leaders of Israel, and all these people who are kind of buying their message, they're, they're following them in their message, they're hypocrites, and they're growing in, host in hostility towards Jesus and towards his disciples. And Jesus knows that persecution is coming. He's, gonna, he's telling that persecution is coming to him and those who follow him. But Jesus says, my friends, my friends, do not fear. Do not fear. This word for fear, it's used five times in this text alone. It's the same word we get the word phobia from today. And it means to be frightened. It means to be terribly, terribly frightened. It means to tremble. The question is, who are we not to fear? Who are we not to fear? And Jesus says, we're not to fear these hypocrites. We're not to fear these false leaders, these, these bad leaders, these men who want to lead you down a path of, of kind of this man-made righteousness. They want, to fall, they want to lead you down this path of false religion, this man-made righteousness. It will not save you. Don't follow them. Don't believe them. And don't be afraid of them when they tell you to do it or else. Don't be afraid of them. The disciples might have been thinking, but Jesus, Jesus, these men, they're, they're pretty powerful. And even if they're wrong, they can do some pretty bad things to us. Right? They, can, they can kick us out of the temple. How would we have sacrifice for sin? They could kick us out of the synagogue. We'll never hear the word preached again. They could kick us out of Israel altogether. They could even imprison us. They can beat us, Jesus. They could even kill us. And Jesus says, is that all? Is that all that they can do? Just kill you? Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. This life, we must understand, to get kind of underneath this text, we must understand that this life is but a vapor. A short 80 years or so, and then face to face with God forever. Face-to-face -face to hear what he has to say about your life. Face-to-face -to, -face to give an account and then live out his just judgment forever. Time to give an account of your life after death and spend eternity living out God's judgment. Yes, man can kill you. Man can kill you. They can do all kinds of bad things to you. They can starve you. They can steal from you. They can do all kinds of things. They can do all sorts of horrible things. But Jesus says that is nothing. That is absolutely nothing compared to what God can do to you. God can do far worse. Far worse. He's so much greater. So much more powerful. Jesus says, I will tell you who to fear. Same word. Same word. I will tell you who to tremble at. I will tell you who to shake with. Fear the one who after he, he has killed. After he has killed. Yes, man can kill you, but God is sovereign. He is the one in charge of your death ultimately. He is in charge. Nobody falls to the ground apart from his sovereign yes. After he has killed you. He says, fear the one after he has killed the body has the authority to cast you into hell. Hell. The word Gehana, it's, it's actually emphasized. They know this place where they actually burn trash heap. It used to be a place of child sacrifice just south of Jerusalem. They know this place. It's a place of heat dump site where they would burn all of their trash. It's become a dump. 
It's, it's where they used to make child sacrifices back in the day of the kings. They know this place. It's a dreadful place. And he says, fear the one who has the authority to cast you into that spiritual place. What is the fear of the Lord? It's a big question that we ask often. What does it mean to fear God? Many have said that the fear of God is really just a reverence for God. It's just a reverence for God. It's just kind of a, a respect of God. To fear God is to just kind of be in awe of Him. And that's true. It is true. But it doesn't quite touch all that Jesus is saying here. It doesn't quite get your arms all the way around what Jesus is implying here. Jesus is speaking of terror. Like absolute terror. Fear that would cause shaking and trembling. Back in my early 20s, before I came to Christ, I was living in California. I had, I had knowledge of God. I'd grown up in the church. I understood a lot of biblical doctrine, but I did not fear God. I had no fear of God. And during that time, uh, God was drawing to me to himself. It's kind of this beginning process of God drawing me to himself, and I was taking an hour-long trip up to a place called Lancaster, California to Lancaster, and it was about an hour-long trip, and I had a beater car and no radio, so it's just me and my thoughts. It's just me and my thoughts. And so on that drive, though, I would see huge mountains, just massive mountains and deep falling-off canyons and big boulders, and I began to think, wow, God is so big. God is so big. And then in contrast, I began to think about how small I was. And then another few days go by, and I start thinking, man, God made all this. He made these, these huge boulders. They're, these boulders, I started like drive down the road, I started to picture these boulders just kind of starting to lean a little bit and rolling down the hill, coming down, crushing my car, crushing me in it, thinking, man, I'd have no chance if that boulder were to come at me. I, I wouldn't be able to stop it. I'd be doomed. And like God made that boulder. God made that boulder. I remember the fear of that boulder. I remember thinking that if God made that boulder, how, how insignificant am I? How insignificant am I? I began to see God as big and grand and glorious. I began to see God as, as holy, and I began to really fear for my life. I began to fear for my well-being. I knew I knew in that moment that if my life ended and I came face to face with God, I was in big trouble. I was in big trouble. I didn't care how much I knew about him. I did not fear him and my life did not honor him. I was in big trouble. I was deathly afraid. And I have to tell you, I didn't just see God's awesomeness in creation. I didn't just see God's awesomeness in creation. I, I, I wasn't just in awe of his power. I wasn't just in awe of his power and majesty and holiness. I wasn't just kind of respectful of his omnipotence, but it was in that awe, it was in that awe and in that wonder of who he was, I was shaken with fear. Every night, every night I would go to bed shaken with fear that if I died the next day, as I knew it wasn't promised to me, that I was doomed. I was in trouble. This was God's grace for me. This was God's grace for me to present himself to me in such a way that I would be deathly afraid of him, of who he was, how awesome he was, that I would fear his wrath. I would fear his holiness, and then I would repent because of it. I would repent of my sin, repent of my hypocrisy, and I was, I was the, one of the worst Hypocrites, you can imagine, claiming to know Jesus and being heavily under the influence of some drug or alcoholic substance and proclaiming the gospel while under it. Biggest hypocrite. He called that out. He showed it to me with his glory. He showed me how much of a hypocrite I was. And then in that, I clung to Christ. In that fear, I clung to his provision for escape. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs tells us. The beginning of the Lord is the, 
or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, that they may avoid the snares of death. Wisdom, wisdom and life, it begins with fearing God. It begins with fearing God. The, the true knowledge, the true knowledge of the one true creator of all leads to knowledge of self. True knowledge of the one true God leads to a true knowledge of self. He is grand, we are not. He is grand, we are not. He is holy, we are not. He is pure, we are not. We are not. We are separated from him, he provides reconciliation. We need salvation, he provides salvation. To fear God is to be in great and proportionate terror of his omnipotence, his omniscience, his sovereignty, his rule, his authority, leading to a heart posture of being just face down before him pleading for mercy. That's what it means to fear God. Jesus is saying here in Luke that God is the one who will expose all hypocrisy. He is the one who will judge in the end. He is the one who will unmask every false Christian Every faker, everyone who believes that they are fooling everyone when you're not, that will be exposed. Every false teacher, every money-grubbing false teacher in our country will be exposed in the end. Every false religion, God will unveil the truth to all in the end, and then it will be too late for repentance. Now is the time. Now is the time to seek refuge from God in God. Now is the time to seek refuge from God in God. God is our refuge. He is a strong tower, a refuge from the storm. That's not the storms of life. He's a refuge from his own wrath. He will be merciful to those who fear him. That's the promise. Luke 1.50 if you remember, many months ago, it says, and, in, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Psalm 103 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards who? Those who fear him. Just as the Father had compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Proverbs 14, 26 says this, that in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. His children have refuge. His children have refuge. Fearing the Lord does not result in running from God. It results in running to him. When you fear God, you don't run from him because you see his mercy. You run to him for refuge, just as we just read. So a proper fear of God will, will receive his offer of mercy. It will receive his offer of mercy and his love. His love will cast out the fear of death, both physical and spiritual. He will cast out the fear of physical death, and he will cast out the fear of spiritual death. And Jesus picks up on this in verse 6. Verse 6, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. That, that means escapes his notice. Not one of them escapes his notice. Not one wing flaps without him noticing and ordaining it. Sovereign over it all. Verse 7, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You, my friends, are more valuable than many sparrows. I love this. Jesus is talking to his friends. He's talking to his friends. He's basically telling them, fear, but don't fear. Be afraid, but don't fear. You get it? Jesus continues to explain, really, just how vast God's sovereignty is. There's not one sparrow that escapes God's notice. There's not one hair that falls off your head that God is not aware of. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, fear God, 
because he knows everything. Nothing escapes his knowledge. Honor God because he can cast you into hell. Fear God because he knows everything. He knows what every sparrow is up to. He knows every hair in your head. The all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God is to be feared. He knows who the hypocrites are to be, who are to be unmasked and judged, and he knows those who are his. And they are more, far more valuable than any sparrow. You have not escaped God's notice. There's nowhere you can go where you can escape God's notice. There's no thought you can have that has not escaped his notice. He knows it all, good, bad, the ugly. Nothing can escape his sovereign knowledge. He knows it all. But fear not, my friend. Fear not. Jesus says, I lay my life down for my friends. I lay my life down for my friends. You, friends, are protected. You are in the refuge. And this is the walk of the Christian life. Knowing and growing in the fear of God and then running to him for refuge. Understanding the, the majesty and the weight and the glory and the awesomeness of God and then running to him for refuge. That is the walk of the Christian life. But that's, that's not all. This is the run of the Christian life. <laughs> Point one is this. The fear of God sets you free from the fear of man and sends you on mission. The fear of God sets you free from the fear of man and sends you on mission. The fear of the Lord causes you, like Isaiah, when he was presented with the glory of Christ in Isaiah 6, to say, send me. That is the natural response of someone who is under the fear of God. He says, send me. When you have beheld the weight and worth of God, when you have seen the worth of God Almighty, the heart posture is face down and the desire to say, yes, Lord. Whatever you say, Lord, I'm in. I'll obey. I trust you. Big, glorious, awesome God. Here's a blank check. Just write it. Write whatever you want in it. I will obey. Sovereign God. Not because God will strike you down if you don't, but because you see his worth. You see his worth, and he is worthy of our service. He is worthy of our service for his glory alone demands our obedience. His glory alone demands our obedience. His glorious nature, his glorious faithfulness, his unfathomable hatred for sin, his glorious love, all of them, all of him, all of who he is, when seen, when feared, it demands a response of, yes, send me. And if you're seeing him and saying, no, thank you, you don't see him. You say, I'm not quite in, you haven't feared him yet. You haven't beheld his glory or enough of it yet. But also, he doesn't send you out alone. He doesn't send you out alone, not only in light of his authority, but also we are sent on mission with with his powerful, with this powerful, loving God at our backs now, not facing us as an enemy. But now he's on our team. We're on his team to proclaim his power and love to the nations. He says, I am, all, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And with his power in you. With his power for you to accomplish that which he has called you to do. This, this power that you once Fear it is now working for you to accomplish his plan to build his church. That cast out fear too. That'll cast out some fear too. So Jesus gives them and us a very comforting command. Do not fear. He gives them a very comforting command. Do not fear. They are just men. They're just men. They can do nothing to you. Not a hair on your head will perish in the end. He says that later in the end of the book of Luke. Not one hair, even though it can kill you, not one hair will perish. So long as you belong to Christ, so long as you are in the refuge, so long as you are in the ark, the judgment will not come upon you. 
Look at verse 8. It says this, And I say to you, Everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And so it's not enough just to say, I fear God. It's not enough just to say, I fear his wrath and I seek his protection, but not in Jesus. Not in Jesus. That, that kind of fear is not proper fear. It's a kind of fear that leads to death. That's the kind of fear that leads to false religion. That's the kind of fear that leads to false messiahs. That's the kind of fear that leads to even false Jesuses. Every Jew would have said they feared God. Every Jew would have said they feared the God of Abraham. But the God of Abraham was right in front of him, and they called him Beelzebul. They hated him. Point two is this. You cannot fear God and deny the Son. You cannot fear God and deny the Son. Jesus transitions now to himself, the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the Godhead, as one whom should be feared, honored, and therefore confessed. Feared, honored, and therefore confessed. And the word confessed really means to acknowledge. You're to acknowledge Christ before men. Claim him. Claim allegiance to him. Say, say really what is true about him. What is true about him? He is to be confessed as God. He is to be confessed as God. Confessed as equal to the Father. Confessed as Savior. Confessed as Lord, Master, King. You cannot honor God without honoring the Son. Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. You can not deny the Son and have the Father. This is a promise. This is a promise that if you confess Christ, as Romans 10 puts it, say with your mouth, you will be saved. Meaning you must fear God, which means confessing the Son, proclaiming that which is true about Him. Now this is not a work. This is not about saying something and getting saved. This is not a salvation by works message. This is evidence of your allegiance to him. Proclaiming Christ is evidence of your allegiance to him, evidence of your faith in him. If you fear him, as we said before, you will cling to him in faith, meaning you will trust him as your only hope for salvation, and you will confess him as this hope to others. But you will not do that if you fear man. You won't. You won't do that if you fear man. You will not confess Christ if you fear what man might do to you. You will not be a pillar of the truth if you fear what man might say or how man might react. Yes, again, they can make fun of you. Families can disown you. Spouses can leave you. Bosses can fire you, and they can even kill you. But Jesus says, in verse 9, that being afraid of them means denying me. To be afraid of them, those who could kill you, fire you, disown you, means disowning me. Separating yourself from me. I'm your hope. Separating yourself from me means separating yourself from salvation. Separating yourself from your king, which means you will not have me in the end advocating for you, saying, Mine. You denied me. Your faith was not in me. Therefore, I will not confess you before the angels and before God in the last day. Because your faith was not in me. Your faith was in man. Your hope was in man. What man thinks, what man will do, but not in me. It's important to note. It's important to note this, that in this text, that both the words confess and deny in the, Greek tent, in the Greek tense are in the aorist tense. And basically that just means that it's not a kind of a moment in time confessing or denying. I mean, this is not talking about a kind of a one time that I didn't confess Christ. It's not talking about the time where the gun was at your head or a gun at your child or that worst case scenario and you denied him in that moment. This is not a, a one of those one time in the moment problems. Or I didn't share the gospel when I was supposed to. Did I deny Christ then? No, that's not what this is talking about. 
It's not what this is talking about. It's talking about a heart decision to confess Christ. It's talking about a heart posture that confesses Christ. It is a life of growing in our fear of God and growing in our grip to Christ in faith as our hope and therefore growing in obedience to, com- to the command to confess the truth of his name before men. It is a decision. It is a decision, not, a, not just a one-in-time decision, but an all-time, in-your-heart decision of allegiance to the king versus allegiance to the world and the God of this world. It's a decision of allegiance. To grow, to grow in the fear of God is to grow in our courage before man. The link between our courage before men is directly connected to our fear of God. To see who man is compared to God and decide each day whom I will serve and obey. How you see man is directly connected to how you see God and how you respond to man. And you see this in Acts chapter 5. The Pharisees tell the, the, the apostles, we give you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Jesus has died, risen, ascended, and they're professing his name, and they're getting imprisoned, and they're arresting them, and they're saying, stop it. The response is, we must obey God rather than man. That's their response. We must obey God rather than men. This is fearing God over man. They got it. They got it. Point three. Fear the Spirit. Fear the Spirit. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Let's just say that this is a very difficult passage. (laughs) Uh, Many have struggled with this passage, and many have wondered if they've committed this like unpardonable sin. Many have lost sleep. Many have had great anxiety of whether or not they've committed this sin that cannot be forgiven, that God will not forgive. Well, I've thought about this text. I've sought commentaries. I've studied it. I've sought other sermons, and they all have differing opinions, and i usually left with a few extra questions, so you might too. I just want to encourage you that if what I'm about to say next, this is where, I, where I've landed, and I'm growing in my understanding of this as well, but for today, this is where I have landed. If you have questions, just come ask. Let's talk about it some more. Okay? And even just right after the service, or if you have my number, give me a call. We can talk about it. But it's important to note that what verse 10, first of all, is not saying. Verse 10, first of all, is not saying that Jesus is somehow less important than the Spirit. Hey, kind of, you can offend me all you want, but don't, don't offend him, otherwise you're doomed. That's not what's going on here. The, they are one. The, the first portion of 10 is speaking kind of in a general sin, a general blaspheming that we all did before we came to Christ. If we are not forgiven uh, any blasphemy, none of us are going to heaven. We're all doomed. None of us are going to be with God. Those sins, those, those blasphemies, they are, they are forgivable. Each and every one of us has spoken a word of God against God or Jesus at one point in our life. This is what we are saved from. In Mark 3, it says this, that truly I say to you, all sin shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemes they utter. So meaning if blasphemy against God is unforgivable, then we're all doomed, right? Every sin is an act of blasphemy against your creator. Every sin. To deny God, or to blaspheme God is to deny his holiness and defame his holiness by preferring to worship other things over him. So this, this is all sin, and all sin is blasphemy. These are forgivable in Christ. These are forgivable in Christ. We should not separate the worth and value of the Son and the Spirit. The person who is unforgiven in verse 10 is the same person who is denied in verse 9 and the same person who is cast into hell in verse 4. Okay, So we shouldn't separate the value of the Godhead. Number two, 
Blaspheming the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with denying miracles today as from God. It has nothing to do with denying miracles today as from God. I've heard and even wondered myself that, you know, if I questioned some kind of major miracle, if I begin to kind of question some kind of vision from somebody or a dream, then am I, am I blaspheming the Holy Spirit? No. No, that's not what this is about either. This is about rejecting spirit revelation. Revelation of who God is. Salvific revelation of who God is. It's about rejecting that which the Spirit is revealing that leads to salvation. The Bible teaches that God is one. God is one. He exists in three distinct persons. One God, three co-eternal people. Persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To fear God is to fear all three. It is to fear all three. And this is what I believe Jesus is teaching here in these first few verses in verse, uh, chapter 12. He's teaching his disciples something about the triune nature of God. We are to fear God the Father. The Father sent the Son into the world, and Jesus came from the Father, and he reveals, he reveals the Father to us. We cannot know the Father apart from the Son. So the only way to the Father... The only way to be in right relationship with God is through the Son. There's no other way. We cannot get to the Father apart from Jesus, and the Spirit reveals the Son. The Spirit reveals the Son. So no one comes to the Father but through the Son, and no one confesses the Son except by the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is the one who reveals the truth of who Jesus is to us. He's the one who reveals the truth of who Jesus is. The Spirit is the one who bears witness, as it says in John 15. It says this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, his job will be this. He will testify about me. That's the job of the Spirit. He will testify about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul picks up on this and he says, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. It's exactly what they were doing. No one by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. It is the Spirit who teaches us, shows us, and reveals to us who Christ is that brings us to the fear of God, that brings us down to our knees and clings to Christ. It is the Spirit who does that. He is the revealer. It is the work of the Spirit to bear witness to Christ, to reveal the truth of who He is. And that is the only way we can confess Him. And He's been doing this from the beginning. He's been doing this all the way from the beginning. What I mean is, is that all of Scripture are God-breathed by the Holy Spirit. All of the Scriptures have been pointing forward to Christ, and all the New Testament has been pointing backwards to Christ. Since the beginning, the Spirit has been pointing to Jesus in His Word. This is his role, to reveal Christ. And this is exactly what he has been doing, and most evidently now, in Jesus' earthly ministry, in the work of Jesus. This word of blaspheming the Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about here is a warning to this particular generation. This very particular generation who had the word of God. They professed to know the word of God. And they're clearly seeing the power of the Spirit working through Christ in the person of Jesus Christ. They know this is of God. They know it. They know that this is of the Spirit of God. They know that Jesus is the Messiah. And in their hatred, in their love of self, in their love of their religion, they suppress it and they blaspheme, saying, no, it's of the devil. And that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that suppression of the very evident work of the Spirit doesn't allow you to get to Christ, which gets you to God. You're, you're hopeless. You're doomed. They utterly deny the clear and understood revelation of the Spirit of Christ. And so the person, the person who cuts themselves off from the revealer of Christ has no hope for forgiveness. Because that forgiveness is only going to come through the Christ. And for this wicked generation, as Jesus puts it, 
God has handed them over to their hardness of heart, and they will not be able to find repentance or faith. Because in their blasphemy, they denied the very person who would reveal the Savior to them. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to deny Christ. There's no forgiveness for that. So if you're here today, and, if you, and you have put your faith in Christ, you have put your faith in Christ, you have believed in your heart that he rose from the dead, you've confessed him as Lord with your mouth, if you have denied your own righteousness and have, of having any value and you have put your hope in him, that means you have not and will not ever blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Fear not. Fear not. But rather you have heard him and you have responded in faith. But if you are not in Christ, if you are not in Christ, you're here this morning hearing the truth revealed by the Spirit of God. You're hearing the truth of God's word week in and week out, and you just kind of continue to reject it. You continue to deny it. Then you may be at risk. You may be at risk of God handing you over to your rejection forever. Every time you hear the gospel, every time you hear God's word preached or read, every time you read it for yourself, it is an act of grace for you. It is the Spirit revealing Christ to you as your way into right relationship with the Father. Do not harden your heart in unbelief as the Spirit reveals Christ to you. When you do, you demonstrate whose side you're on, and it's not God's. You may be at risk of blaspheming the Spirit. You may be at risk of never hearing, being able to hear the gospel again. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what this afternoon holds. You could be face-to-face with God today. Put your trust in the Son. Look to see what the Spirit is showing you and the greatness and the majesty and the sovereignty and the rule and reign and power and love of Christ and cling to him with all your might. But if you have received the Son, which I believe most of us have, then you have the Spirit. So again, we say, do not fear. Do not fear. And do not fear man when they put your faith to the test. Point four is this. The Spirit filled, our Spirit kept. The Spirit filled, they are Spirit kept. Verse 11 says this, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. What an uplifting and encouraging word from our Lord. After all that's been said, after all that's been said in this passage, what... One might say, what do I do if they threaten to kill me? What do, I, what do I say if I'm in that situation where the guy has a gun to my head and says, deny Christ? What do I do? What do I say? What if I, what if I deny Christ? What if I prove that I'm well, not a believer? These are the thoughts that probably come into our head. And Jesus says, don't fear. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. We have been purchased by the blood of Christ, and therefore... We don't need to fear man because we have the very power of God living in us. We have the very power of God living in us, the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. That very same power will give us the word to confess Christ in the midst of the most difficult situation. His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. Don't worry. Don't worry about those times. He'll give you the words, but just fear God. Seek Christ. Get to know him now. We are coming into an age, I believe, here in America, where our livelihood is going to be affected. Livelihood is going to be changed. I don't know if it's going to be 
One year, 10 years, 20 years. Could be about that long. Who knows? We don't know. But our, our churches will be put to the test. Our faith will be, put, will be tested as the world grows increasingly hostile towards our king, the one whom we confess allegiance to, the one who we confess is the one who is coming, the one who is going to rule and reign forever. There's going to be increasingly hostile people saying, you better step off that message. You better step off that message. And so today we must decide whose team we are on. Today we must decide who we are with. We must decide whom we will fear. We must decide today, and we must decide now to grow in our knowledge and love of our holy and righteous God today, and we must trust. We must trust that our God will give us all that we need to persevere. All that we need to persevere. This is his promise. This is his promise that if you are in Christ, you will be filled, taught, kept and sealed for the day of redemption. All whom the Father gives to Jesus will never be plucked out of his hand. All whom the Father gives to Jesus will never be plucked out of the Father's hand. Christ and the Father are one. There's a firm grip on you if you are in Christ. Fear not the persecution or the, the changing tides in our economy the changing tides in our presidential campaigns and presidents and whether or not we're going to be all Republican or all Democrat or whatever, Russia's coming or China's coming, it doesn't matter. We have the same message today as they had 2,000 years ago. Christ is risen from the dead and he reigns now and forever and I belong to him. Nothing's changing that. Be secure in that. The Spirit will give you those words in the time when it comes. Fear not. His power is made perfect in weakness. Close with this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So, so tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. What's new? What's new? We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.